You're listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Alan Brown, and joining me today to talk about emerging non-statin LDL-lowering agents is Dr. Maya Safarova. Dr. Safarova is currently the Chief Fellow in the Department of Cardiovascular Medicine at the University of Kansas Medical Center in Kansas City. Maya, thank you very much for joining us. I had the pleasure of meeting you in person at the National Lipid Association meetings in Atlanta, and it was great to get to meet you, and you gave a great presentation down there. So it's great to be able to follow up on your presentation. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me. So I guess today our topic is going to be a broad one, non-statin LDL-lowering therapies. And before we get into the details of who should be on those therapies, maybe you could talk a little bit about who's the type of patient where we should be thinking about non-statins. Yeah, I think it's a great question. Who is that individual that you would start thinking, I need to bring up my non-statin ammunition to the table? So low-hanging fruit would be someone with a baseline high risk, someone with progressive atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, multiple events, myocardial infarction, peripheral arterial disease, stroke, or someone who had an incident event and also has so-called high-risk conditions, such as, for instance, familial hypercholesterolemia, diabetes, hypertension, chronic kidney disease, individuals of age above 65 years, those who have history of myocardial revascularization outside of the incident event. A challenging group of patients, not to forget about those who are statin intolerant. This is a group in whom to consider non-statin therapies that are targeting LDL pathway. Those who are not achieving LDL goals on maximally tolerated statins and a maximally tolerated statin dose is variable for each individual. Patients with severe hypercholesterolemia phenotype, polygenic or monogenic. So it's a really diverse cord of individuals in whom you can start thinking, aha, I need to take one step further and think about what can we do more in addition to statin. Okay, I think that was very comprehensive. The idea of identifying those people who are, quote, very high risk. So in those patients where we can't achieve LDL where we want, or those patients that despite our best efforts on maximal therapy still have LDL that's elevated or continue to have events despite being on good doses of statins, what other drugs are available and what can we tell our audience that will help them make a decision? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the medications I would bring up, quite interesting one, bempedoic acid. And it's interesting because it's a prodrug. We're already familiar with this concept of a prodrug, such as, for instance, clopidogrel or prasugrel. What it basically means is that the medication comes in an active form. And in order for it to become active, it needs specifically for bempedoic acid, very long chain acylcoase synthetase, which converts bempedoic acid into its active metabolite in the liver. And why it's important is because it allows to avoid certain effects such as myopathic symptoms and hyperglycemia, those symptoms that have been concerned for statins. And actually with bempedoic acid, which is an oral drug, it comes in a fixed dose of 180 milligrams. Recently, there was a heart outcome study within the CLEAR program. It was a CLEAR outcomes trial that took 14,000 patients who were deemed to be statin tolerant and randomized them into bempedoic acid, 180 milligrams or placebo. There were only about 20, 25% who were on baseline statin therapy. Their LDL on average was approximately 130 milligrams per deciliter 
newsletter. Another interesting aspect of the clear outcomes is that it was a mixed cohort. There was vast majority were those with secondary prevention indications, but there was also a high risk primary prevention group of patients. And they showed that there was about 13% reduction in the primary outcome, which was a four point MACE. And then there was about 15% reduction in the risk of myocardial infarction, composite MI, composite um, death and stroke. So quite impressive findings. Yeah, I think that this is a very interesting study. And of course, benvodoic acid alone lowers LDL about 17 to 20%. So the outcomes compared to the placebo arm were what we expected for that reduction in LDL. But now we have another drug that shows that it does reduce cardiovascular outcomes. And I know you know a little bit about the data on MK0616, which our audience probably hasn't heard of. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about what that is and the mechanism and why we might be excited about the opportunity. Right. MK0616 made some headlines this past year. And I think what is interesting about this compound is it's that's within the emerging landscape of peptide base inhibition. And you can think about peptides as a therapeutic modality that's attractive because of their synthetic accessibility, high degree of specific binding, ability to target protein surfaces that historically were considered undruggable. And it's not necessarily a new approach. It's been out there for some time, but there's been challenges with this approach, and that would include high renal clearance, high proteolytic degradation rates, also low bioavailability. So with time, we got better and better with how the peptides were managed. And now with this microcyclization, there is stability in the proteolytic degradation rates. And macrocyclic peptide to PCSK9 is one of those examples. It is interesting because we we got used to, whenever we think about PCSK9, we only think about injectables, uh, subcutaneous, IV. With this compound, it's an orally administered medication. And now we have data from the phase 2B trial, which showed nicely that there is a dose-dependent LDL-lowering effect. And in the dose of 18 milligrams and 30 milligrams with MK0616, there was on average 59 and 61% reduction in LDL cholesterol, which is quite, quite significant and remarkable. For those just joining us, you're listening to Heart Manners on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Alan Brown, and I'm speaking today with Dr. Maya Safarova about emerging non-statin LDL-lowering therapies. So let's talk about some other new drugs. I have to tell you, Maya, I've been doing this for a lot of years. When I started in lipids back in the mid-80s as I finished my fellowship, I was doing interventional cardiology, and my partners used to laugh at me when I told them I was going to start a lipid clinic. They said, you know, you do that as a hobby, but don't be late for the cath lab. So here we are 38 years later with every few months something to get excited about. And lipidology has become a really predominant part of cardiology, which is very satisfying. So let's start talking about some of the newer drugs. How about ovacetropib? This is a CETB inhibitor. We've had a few of those that didn't turn out so well in the past. Tell us a little bit about ovacetropib. 
Yeah, obesetrobib, CTP inhibition, cholesterol ester transport protein. I think it's a fascinating story, and I'm quite certain there is more to it with gene modifiers and others. But if you think about obesetrobib, it's fifth in its generation. Now, obesetrobib through the CTP inhibition is another example of use of human genetics in our search of candidate genes. For instance, using gene scores comprising genetic variants with small effects or SNPs, one can experiment with what could be expected from the drug. So sort of the big picture is that CTP contributes to redistribution of cholesterol ester from non-atherogenic HDL to LDL and very low-dense lipoproteins, triglyceride-rich lipoproteins, in a way contributing to their proatherogenic potential. Obesitropib in the phase two trial was shown to reduce LDL by an average of about 30 to 40% and the dose of 5 to 10 milligrams respectively. And it was reducing APOB and also reducing LPLA 40 to 50% in the dose of 5 to 10 milligrams respectively again, which is another exciting aspect to it that we don't have many drugs that affect LPLA in a meaningful manner. And obesitropib is one of those that is a able to reduce LPLA. So some interesting data to come in the coming years. And I think the prevail trial, the expected completion date is in 2026. So how about looking at our patients? We have all of these things in the pipeline, which we want to get our audience excited about, but is there a way to think about this to kind of personalize what choice you would make? Right. How to prioritize. And I think this is such a great question. When you think about an individual that is in front of you in clinic or you're seeing someone as a consul in the hospital, you have in your mind this algorithm. Is this primary prevention or is this a secondary prevention? And then you delineate what is the LDL goal that you want to reach. And then based on that LDL goal, you sort of get a drop-down list of what are the options. Is enough for me to have 15 to 25% reduction in LDL with azetamide? or bempedoic acid or up to 35% with a combination of azetimibe and bempedoic acid? Is it someone who would benefit from more potent LDL reduction with PCSK9 injectables, 50 to 70%, also maybe considering some LPLA lowering effect? Is it a patient who has a background of a complex heritable lipid disorder such as homozygous FH or a compound or double heterozygous FH and would benefit from angioprotein-3 targeted therapies? So this LDL-driven navigation of what would be your priority in loading LDL. And then the other aspect I think that is important to consider, because at the end of the day, it is a shared decision making with your patient. And regardless if we prescribe it, if there's no clarity and understanding why we're doing it, there won't be compliance. And it's important to know what would be the comfort zone of the individual in front of you, if they would be more interested in taking oral medication, or they would be open to consider injectables on a biweekly basis, monthly basis, or coming into infusion center and get it every six months. So I think it's a multi-layered approach. It's based on what we think is important in terms of achieving the goal. And then also what's the patient thinking is important for their quality of life, for their ability to sustain this commitment, which is a long-term commitment. Yeah, very well said. So I think, you know, you beautifully laid out who we should think about. A lot of it's patient preference. Some of it has to do with insurance, what they can afford. But how low do you need them to get? That depends on the clinical scenario, what their LDL was before you started therapy and achieving some number that is low enough that you should be able to see outcomes based on clinical trials. 
Dr. Safarova. Do you have any final comments you'd like to make, kind of summarizing the really great points that you made during today's interview? I think the simple takeaway from the existing evidence and from our conversation today is that knowing your numbers empowers you as a provider, as a patient, as an individual who wants to live longer and healthier. Finally, we talked about a phenotypically driven approach. And I want to see our field move towards primordial prevention when there is a targeted selection of therapeutic goals and thresholds depending on each individual patient's profile. I myself am excited about what an intersection of phenotyping expertise with genomics and genetics and technology informatics can bring on a larger scale to the value care and better outcomes. There's so much more, and I think we will continue to get this rewarding experience as more and more data come. Well, thank you, Dr. Sepharova. That was beautifully said. As a past president of the Lipid Association, I appreciate your support of the NLA. You have definitely been a great asset to the NLA, and I look forward to watching your continued success, both in your career and your activities within the organization. So thank you very much for speaking with us today and sharing your knowledge. Thank you, Dr. Brown. It was wonderful to be part of this conversation today. Thank you for having me. For ReachMD, I'm Dr. Alan Brown. To access this and other episodes in our series, visit reachmd.com slash heartmatters, where you can be part of the knowledge. Thank you all very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the program.